Parents, welcome to another episode of The Journey, a podcast intended to educate, equip, and entertain you as we talk about important issues facing our families. PCA is a Christ-centered, biblically-based, and family-focused community of committed believers doing life together. We hope the information you hear on this podcast informs and inspires you to be a better parent. Welcome to The Journey. Hey parents, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a friend, uh, Christine Callender, with me. Christine, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Dan. Yes. I'm really, I, I appreciate the opportunity to get to and do a, this. And apparently this is your first podcast interview that you've done. It is very much my first podcast y- ever. You're off to a great start. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, uh, give us a little bit of your background because you come from a medical background and you're moving into some new adventures. And I was reading about it and I was like really fascinated with it. And I was like, man, I need to have Christine on because I want to I want to know some of the things that you know that I think are going to be super interesting and helpful for our parents. So take us back a little bit. Um, Let's start with, we were just talking about before, where are you from? So I grew up in San Juan Capistrano, California. Which so is beautiful. a lot of people don't know that about me, that I have California roots. Okay. But if you ever have a conversation with me outside of school, you'll probably hear me say you guys versus y'all. Y'all does not come naturally because it didn't, it wasn't part of my vernacular growing sure. up. Sure. Yeah. So everybody's you guys. So what did you grow up doing? Surfing? Um, a lot of sports? boogie boarding and okay. swimming. Okay. Um, surfed a little bit, played a lot of roller hockey and softball. Because really? don't have a whole lot of ice in California. True, true. And so we would just strap on the rollerblades and go in the street and like most people here would play street basketball. Sure. You just like get the ball, go play with the hoop. And then we would strap on the rollerblades, put our PCV pipes out because our nets were made of PCV with a net hooked on it. Love it. Throw them in the middle of the street and play until a car came and then pull them to the side Fantastic. and keep going. Yes. Yeah. Lots so of outside time. California beginning, and then what happened? Then my dad got a job in Texas when I was in seventh grade. So okay. we actually moved to Cedar Hill, Texas oh my goodness. initially. What a, what a change. I, From the beach to Cedar Hill. Yes. <sighs> Ouch. When we moved, I was a little <laughs> upset and mad. I'm mad at God even at that point in time because yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. I live in California. It's like the greatest place in the universe. It's warm. It's sunny. There's sand. And I get to go to where kids still ride horses to school, which was a little bit of an exaggeration. But in my teen mind, oh, totally. that's exactly yeah, how that's it works. That's Cedar Hill, right? <laughs> yes. And so we were there just for like a year and a half because I moved in the middle of seventh grade. And then we relocated to Colleyville. And so okay. graduated from Grapevine High School. Okay. Very good. Now, you're married to Sean, uh, who's on staff, right? Right across the parking lot yes. uh, at the big church. And not even up across the parking lot anymore. He is in the city missions building. So he's like oh across the pond. Yes. He's right. Which yeah. sounds cooler. Take, sounds a, take like a left. There he is. He's, you know, that he's we're right talking across the about. Pond, right. No, yeah. He's in England. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, we get to sound cool. He's across the pond. He's across the pond. Now, and uh, when did you and Sean meet? Sean and I met the night I actually joined Prestonwood Baptist Church as a member. Really? Okay. So I was attending Saturday night services and decided I was going to join Prestonwood and was going to also join a Bible study class all in one fail swoop. Love it. Like when I jump in, I jump in with two feet typically. Yep. So it was full full tilt. We were going. Um, so went forward, joined the church, talked to the decision counselor like, yes, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. 
yes, I want to be part of the church body, and then went to find this Bible study class. Well, everybody else had already gone to Bible study class because they didn't go to the Decision Encourager room. And so I'm coming in a little late, and I'm walking down the stairs. So where pastor's office – well, I guess it's not pastor's office. It's the PowerPoint offices now and their recording area where that was used to be where both the youth group met – and where the singles met on Saturday nights. So it used to be classrooms. So I came down the stairs there, and there's a bunch of people just mingling around, and I look completely lost because I am completely lost. Just walking through. (laughs) And Sean saw me and kind of introduced himself. Well, he thought I was still in high school, and I very clear made it very clear to him that I am not in high school. I have graduated, and I was looking for the singles group. And so he walked me over to the singles group and introduced me over there. Well, the secretary for the singles group was his secretary. Um, so she was class secretary for the singles group. She was his secretary during the work week because gotcha. Sean was the youth pastor at the time. Gotcha. He did high school ministry. Okay. And long story short, he basically had her stalk me for my information yeah. so that he could give me a Absolutely. call Absolutely. Hey, make sure you get her number. Yeah. Right. Let me. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent way of doing it. He is a brilliant man. So yes. I'll yes. give him credit. <laughs> it's good. So what? Um, your medical background. Yeah. So medical background, I've always been interested in medicine. My mom's a physical therapist. My dad's been in medical sales most of his career. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of grew up around medical stuff and always thought I would go into medicine. And honestly, I thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon for a long time because I loved like casting things. And then as I went through school, I was like, "Mm, nope, that's not really the direction I want to go. I think I want to go into nursing. So I actually became a paramedic before I became a nurse, which most people don't know. And so became a paramedic, thought, yeah, maybe I want to do that. Adrenaline junkie would be my middle name. So it worked really well with my personality to like jump out of bed and like throw on your shoes and run out to the ambulance. Always a problem, right? Always a problem to solve. Yes. And it's always unexpected. So you're like, what are we going to run into today? (laughs) I mean, one of somebody's life falling apart, and here's Christine. Like, here's this Christine, is so awesome. Come in. <laughs> but like exciting things that I got to do, like I delivered a baby on the floor of an apartment with no somebody way. holding a lamp over our head oh, as the light source. Yes. So, like, didn't actually get to catch a baby in nursing school, but I got to catch a baby being a paramedic. So, That's crazy. Um, and that was actually in paramedic school that I got to do that. So, really cool, different experiences yes. getting to do it school that way. So, became a paramedic. Decided that that was not the lifestyle I wanted to leave. Okay. As at lead as far as the shift work and the social life. And it's kind of a rough group, yeah. um, which you have to be when you kind of deal with those situations on a daily basis. You kind of put up some guards. So I decided I was going to go to nursing school. Okay. So went to nursing school, became a nurse, and worked mainly in the emergency room, but dabbled in a few other areas um, through my career nursing, and then decided I was going to go back to school and become a nurse practitioner. Okay. So graduated for, during the COVID. For frenzy. those of us who don't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> right? Because uh, I know there's some parents out there, right? I know the difference, obviously. But for, for some of our parents out there who don't know the difference between nurse and nurse practitioner, yes. what would be the difference? So biggest difference is the level, like scope of practice. So the level that we can practice at okay. and schooling. So okay. as in there's, and even amongst nurses, like there's different levels, so to speak, of nursing. So you have... Um, an RN who went through an associate's degree program, so has a two-year degree. And gotcha. then you have an RN, so same credentials. You can work doing the same thing but had a little bit more education and has a bachelor's degree in nursing. So – and both of them, great educational programs. I wouldn't necessarily choose one nurse over the other sure. because a lot of them are very equal 
Um, but to become a master's of science in nursing or a nurse practitioner, you, if you were an associate's degree nurse first, you have to go back and get your bachelor's degree in nursing, even if you have a bachelor's degree in something else. And then you can apply to get your master's degree in nursing. Okay. And then they even have a doctoral program too, but most nurses do the master's program. Um, with that, it's similar to a PA or a physician's assistant where you have a bachelor's degree and then you go for two to three additional years and get a master's degree in nursing or as a physician's assistant. And with that comes some additional responsibility where we can actually diagnose and treat. I can write prescriptions. I can order x-rays and interpret x-rays. So we're very similar to how a physician practices. Right. Um, obviously, the schooling looks very different from the traditional physician approach. But a lot of nurse practitioners go into primary care versus most physicians now are going into specialty care. So it's helping broaden the base of primary care practice in the United States. Oh, which that's is neat. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now, you and Sean have three children. We do. Tell us the names and ages and where they are. Yes. Well, they are all here at Prestonwood Christian Academy. There you go. And different it grades, makes though. it easy. Yeah, different I, grades. Great. Technically, even two different schools because we have a middle schooler and we have two lower school kids. But all within the big PCA family. Yes. So Brenna is our oldest. She is 14, so she's an eighth grader. And we're already talking about high school next year, which is a little scary because I don't know if I am ready for her to be a high schooler. She is more than ready to be a high schooler. I bet she is. And then we have Case. He's 11. He's in fourth grade. So um, he was our first journey into dyslexia, which we can go into that a totally different day. Oh, wow. But so we have um, that journey that we've walked with him here at PCA. And then we have Ainsley, who is our second journey into dyslexia here at PCA, and she's a second grader. Okay. So 14, 11, and Ainsley is eight and a half, and she is our spice of life. She should have been a redhead. That's yeah. As she's listening to this, she's like, I am, yes. She's a redhead at heart. <laughs> That's so good. So um, recently you've posted some um, a new adventure that you're moving into, and I thought it looked fascinating and interesting. Um, and before we get into some other questions that it will be helpful for our parents, tell me a little bit about this new adventure that you're starting. So as a nurse practitioner in Texas, I do have to have physician oversight, but Physician oversight in Texas means that I meet with a physician on a monthly basis. We discuss my cases and that I have that physician available if I have questions. Okay. So if I have a question, I can call him, get an answer to my question. We can discuss things, kind of come up with a plan of care. So I have somebody that's gone through full medical school kind of watching me, so to speak, but not practicing with me in the same building. So in December, I stepped away from full-time employment, which was – very exciting for me, probably more nerve-wracking Ner- for Sean yeah, exactly. because he's our budget man. So obviously he's like, okay, do you think you can make this work budget-wise? It sounds great, like schedule-wise, family-wise, but do you think you can make this work budget-wise? And we just turned it over to the Lord. And so January 1st really opened the doors of my practice. You I had been, You started yes, a business. Started a business, okay. which for a nurse practitioner, like we don't take business no, classes you would, in school. You would, right. And even my bachelor's degree. So I have two bachelor's degrees, one's in nursing and the other is actually in speech communication and psychology because I thought I was going to be a youth pastor there for a minute. Okay. Um, then decided I had really heard God wrong and I was not <laughs> called to ministry only to then like eight months later meet Sean and right. then marry Sean who at the time was yeah. a minister in youth ministry. And I was like, oh, oh, I now get it, God. Like this totally makes sense. Yep. Thanks because, for connecting the dots for me. Well, and little things like 
I lived through summer as the youth intern at a church, so I knew how crazy summers were. So I wasn't offended then, the first summer that Sean and I are married, that he's busy with summer activities and camp and mission trip. So things that could have totally wrecked a marriage early on weren't big deals because God had prepared it prepared me for that when I was feeling called to the ministry where I am as a pastor's wife, but in a completely different kind of avenue. Yeah. But so side note there. So we stepped away from stepped away from full time employment in December. I had been kind of dabbling with stuff on the on my own on the side because I was working in a pediatric practice, but I was taking care of adults um on the side because I'm a family nurse practitioner so I can take care of people through the entire lifespan. Okay. Um so I opened my own practice basically January 1st. I have at least a one-room, all-encompassing little office. Um, I'm joint with a birth center. So the birth center has three-quarters of the building, and I have this nice little room on the side that I see my patients in. Okay. And um, so stepped out doing that in January. And I'm kind of a combination of what people would call concierge medicine in kind of the Dallas area because I do a lot of phone consults treating via phone or video chat. But I also still see people in person in the office and do a normal well child exam or a normal adult annual exam. Still look at some of the traditional blood work and all of those things. But also I practice in more of what we call like an integrative space or a functional medicine space where we look at root causes of things. So we don't just assume that you are having anxiety or depression type symptoms because of a deficiency in neurotransmitters. We look at where, like why that deficiency in neurotransmitters would be. So instead of just prescribing a medication to correct a imbalance in that neurotransmitter, we might do that or use supplements and then also look kind of deeper. So sometimes even looking at gut health, which sounds really weird. You're like my gut and my brain, my intestines and my brain, like how are these two things related? But a lot of our neurotransmitters are actually produced in the guts. So like 80% of our serotonin in our body, which is, you know, most people recognize that word is like, okay, that's one of those happy brain chemicals, which it is, but 80% of it's actually made in our guts. And so sometimes- So if we don't have good gut health, then that that particular chemical can really affect us. Yes. Wow. So it's very interesting looking kind of a little bit deeper into things and not just treating based on what we see on the surface. Okay. So the other thing you mentioned before we started, right? You gave an example. You said act. Yes. Right? And I was like, yeah, acne, right? Which is a... Plagues teenagers. Well, dermatological, right? It's a skin issue, Mm -hmm. right? And you said a lot of it is because of poor gut health. Yes. That it it has to show itself somewhere, right? Like, hey, I've got a problem here. And so God, in the way that he designed us, if I can't look into your gut and say, hey, here's a problem, it'll, you know, manifest itself in something else. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. that acne comes along and people treat the acne. I know you can, you know, run to Target and get these little patches and you put them on there and it treats the acne from the outside. But what you're saying is you may not be treating the root cause of why you have acne because it might be, right, your gut. Might be the gut. Because the gut even it controls some of our hormone balances. So especially for women, a lot of our estrogen is kind of processed in the liver and excreted into the gut. Well, if you're constipated and you're not having regular bowel movements, you can reabsorb a lot of those estrogens and so then have higher levels of estrogen than you would, which can lead to more severe cramps, heavier menstrual cycles, more acne issues. So it's really weird how all these like little pieces tie together in the intestines, okay, which so, we really just think of as a digestive organ. Oh, totally. Yeah. But it, go, it, it goes has, through and out. But you're, yeah. what you're saying is it doesn't always. It doesn't always. <laughs> it doesn't always. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, and And – you know, don't tell me this is a stupid question. Just give it a good answer. There are no stupid questions. No, there are. I tell my patients this all, this, there, there, all the time. Trust Medically, me. there are not. 
Okay, I'll give you that. Medically, there are not. Gut issues, um, men versus women. Yes. Um, is it is it much more common for a woman to be struggling with gut issues than a man? I wouldn't say necessarily more common, but okay. I feel like women have more symptoms okay. of gut issues than men do. Okay. Because I, I just I hear about it right with women talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not generally a man's conversation. Correct. Right. Just you know, as as we're talking about how we don't feel well, mm-hmm. um, it's usually not something that leads to you know, my gut. But mm-hmm. for women, I hear right. That's a constant conversation. So it just seems like it's a different way of. And dealing some with... of it's what we're talking about. Oh, true. Yeah. A woman's conversation with her girlfriends is going to be very different than a man's conversation with his buddies. And most men, because true, true. <laughs> they're men, aren't talking so much about their feelings or what's going on with them physically. They're talking about sports or fishing and hunting. Yeah. So just the conversations go in different directions. And so I think that's one of the reasons we see it more. We hear more about it with women yeah. than with men. Now, I've noticed that a lot more of our students um, are being diagnosed with eating issues, dealing with what they're putting in. And so, um, you know, we have a whole part of, uh, you know, what Sean is doing, not your Sean, by the way, um, Chef Sean down here, right Love with Chef Sage. Sean, by Chef the way. Sean he is, is so such good. a great guy. He is. He's amazing what he does. Um, but they have special diets, mm-hmm. right, for students who are, um, and what, what are the different, you know, kind of diagnoses for our students in, in terms of their eating issues, right? Um, there can be a lot. I know that – so I got to have a brief stint here as one of the middle school nurses or okay. as the middle school nurse for a semester during COVID because COVID was crazy and everything was upside down. Amen. And so I was working in an emergency room at the time but only working like two days a week. And so we needed some additional help on right. campus. And I was like, sure, I'll be the it. nurse for a semester. Sounds good. So I actually got to see a lot of what our students are battling on paper because I was in that role. And so the number of food allergies is kind of astounding yes, and is increasing. And I'll be honest, we don't necessarily have good reasons for all of that, like yeah. why we're seeing such an increased prevalence. There's lots of theories, and I won't get into all of those, but some of it goes back to gut permeability issues where your intestines have something called gap junctions. So the cells don't necessarily sit super tight next to each other. Okay. There's a little bit of a space between them. And that gap junction kind of gets filled with a mucus that's produced by the bacteria in the intestines. So our intestines have a lot of good beneficial bacteria in them. Um, so think of it kind of like the United States. There's lots of little you know, people groups from mm-hmm. different places in the world that have all come together in the United States. You know, we've been called the mixing bowl. Um, our intestines are kind of like a mixing bowl for different bacterial colonies. And so you have lots of different types of bacteria in the gut. And some of those bacteria, their job is to actually help produce mucus that lines the intestines and helps our gut be less permeable. So okay. stuff that's going through is truly being absorbed through this little brush border and not falling in between these cells. And so when we eat certain foods or have sometimes it's even chemicals, sweeteners, food additives, we can eliminate some of that mucus barrier in our gut. Mm -hmm. And when we eliminate part of that mucus barrier, larger and larger pieces of food that hasn't been completely digested can fall in between those cells. So kind of fall in between those gap junctions and get absorbed in larger chunks that then our body reacts to abnormally. So it kind of falls into that autoimmune category where our body's attacking something in an aggressive way that it shouldn't necessarily be attacking in an aggressive way. And so that's a lot of the theory of where we're developing all these food allergies is from 
the gut and having poor gap junctions where stuff's falling through. And so then we're, we're absorbing larger chunks of proteins and our body's going, whoa, that's not part of me. I don't like that protein, whether it's sesame or it's gluten or it's dairy, um, those being three of the big, big, big ones that we see. Um, and so it sees these little protein chunks and it starts to attack it okay. going, that's not self, so it must be a foreign invader. Let's Let's protect ourselves yeah. from that. I've, I've noticed that a number of our students, right, are now more gluten-free mm-hmm. and dairy-free. Yes. And, and do you see that as, a, as an issue for parents to kind of pay attention to as well? Like, how would, how would I know that my child is struggling with these particular things? It seems like from what I hear with students, it's like when I eat this, I feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, it's, you can tell just internally that, you know, hey, I had ice cream and, man, I felt really nauseous after mm-hmm. it. I'm going to tattle on a, on one of my kids on this one, um, and I won't specify who. Oh, maybe I will. Um, so we have three kids mm-hmm. raised very similarly. Um, one of them, our youngest, so our spicy one, um, she's the kid that if you give her a glass of milk mm-hmm. – I'm going to know that that night she's going to be a disaster. And gotcha. Sean might disagree with me on that one okay. because I don't necessarily know that he's paid attention to the correlation quite as much. But I've noticed that if she drinks a glass of like milk with breakfast, yeah. then she's more emotional at night. So sometimes you see food intolerances. So not an allergy. She doesn't break out in a rash. She doesn't stop breathing. Um, we don't have hives all over. But her behavior is different. Interesting. So I've got one son that when he drinks a glass of milk, the mm-hmm. next day he'll have acne. Yes. So inflammatory response. So for some people, dairy is very inflaming. Some people tolerate it fine. Sean can have a glass of milk and he's just like, yes, a glass of milk. Thank you. So this is my son that used to drink, I I wouldn't say a gallon a day, (laughs) but but he was our milk kid. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because now he's older and he just really can't tolerate milk. So that to me, that's a fascinating thing to think, well, what what in the world changed in your body that now, I mean, something that you drank so much of. And Mm -hmm. now if you have a glass of it, you'll have acne the next day. Yeah. And sometimes it's changes as we age hormonally. A Mm -hmm. lot of things change, but some of it goes back to that brush border and those gap junctions. And if those if something that he was drinking for a long time wasn't bothering him, because at that time, those gap junctions were nice and tight, then he might not have issues where now he's kind of developed an issue over time. And a lot of allergies actually start that way. The first time you have penicillin, you might tolerate it just fine. Hmm. The second time you have a penicillin drug, you may end up having hives from that medication. So a lot of times it's a repeat exposure or you start your course of amoxicillin and you're day seven or eight and that's when then you have that, like then you break out in hives because you have to sensitize to it. So sometimes it Things change over the course of life. I have a patient who recently, postpartum, has developed a full-blown egg allergy. Itchy really? throat, facial swelling, never had issues with eggs before. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's, it's wild how our body changes with time. And our hormones have a lot to do with it. Um, so it's just interesting how, how our bodies change. But a lot of people, you know, as far as like dairy is concerned, some people – don't digest it well. So okay. Some people might have gas and bloating and right. tummy cramping after right. they eat it. Yep. Same with gluten. Um, same symptoms even. Gas, bloating, tummy cramping. Some people have vomiting after they eat those things where other people, we see it with skin reactions, eczema, acne. Um, other people like Ainsley, she, where she's like my more emotional kid that night if she's had a bunch of milk versus on days that she – might just have a bowl of cereal or might have oatmeal in the morning and not have any dairy exposure. She's 
happy-go-lucky in the afternoon and, you know, don't push your buttons quite so easily that yeah. day. But so I think these are important things to, to grasp. It, it seems like when I was a child growing up, um, you ate whatever was put in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody really ever paid attention to uh, if I broke out in acne the next day or if I didn't, you know, if I wasn't myself that evening, mm-hmm. right? It was just it, food's food, right? You eat it, you digest it, right? It, you eliminate it, you move on. You don't, you don't really pay attention to those things. And I think um, there's still a lot of people who are my age who are raising kids, mm-hmm. right? That it's just kind of that same mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just, you, you just need to get used to it. You just need to, you know, suck it up. It's not a big deal. Move on. Um, but I think it's a fascinating thing to realize that it, what you eat really does affect how you feel, right? About, it affects us all differently. Yeah, differently. So a meal that I eat might not make me feel sick, but it might make you feel horrible. Yeah. So you might even have flu-like symptoms because you eat something that your body just isn't tolerating well. Isn't that crazy? It really is. It's wild. It really is. Our so, bodies are so unique and so complex. Yes, as, as if they were amazing. designed by some great creator who mm. <laughs> is like, this is so cool. Watch this. Right. It's so awesome. Um, one of the other things that you um, mentioned to me that you said, you know, it'd be interesting for our parents to talk about um, is just stress mm-hmm. um, in our young people. I've noticed um, that um, young people wrestling with stress seems to be there seems to be a higher level of anxiety, um, boys and girls. Yes. Um, there seems to be a higher level of kids being tired. Um, there seems to be a lot of energy drinks uh, consumed by very young people, <laughs> which I'm like, I'm 53. If somebody needs an energy drink around here, it's probably me. Um, but I'm seeing, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old students mm-hmm. drinking energy drinks. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means from the long-term perspective. Maybe it's a stopgap, right? And you kind of later, you know, get on with things. Um, but what, what would you say to our parents to kind of be paying attention to, um, to try to help their students um, deal with stress, address stress? What are some, some things from a parenting perspective that we can do to help our students? Great question. So first I think is recognizing that anxiety in our youth is not just something that happens to a few, but it happens to most. I want to say the statistics, and I actually know this because my daughter, Brenna, our 14-year-old, recently had to write a research paper on, I think it was on anxiety. (laughs) So I was like, thank Thank you, you. Brenna. I appreciate you doing this for me. Um, But I think she said one out of three students in America, so like we're middle school, high school students, battle with anxiety on a daily basis. And when we think anxiety, it's not like the debilitating, I can't get out of my room because I'm so stressed. But it's just that we're having overwhelming negative thoughts about something. And it's, I think we classify anxiety for the most part as a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And in the United States, nobody wants to talk about mental illness. It's kind of that taboo subject. But just like we just talked for the last few minutes about gut health and how our gut health affects so much, our mental health affects even more because pretty much everything is coming from the head down. Um, And while there might be cofactors of why we have some of those things, ignoring it, I think, is the the worst thing that we can do, both as a society and as a parent. So talking with kids openly about it is one of the biggest things that we can do as parents and recognizing that there are more anxiety-provoking triggers now than there were when we were parents. Mm -hmm. Um, At least for like our middle school and high school kids, I know that we did not have TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat. Aren't, I mean, the list can go on and that. on. I know. I'm so thankful I grew yeah. up before all of that. I mean, I it was cool because I had a pager. 
Yes. That's my age group. So, I mean, it was the like, hey, can you send a cool page where it comes through as a little message like hello if you turn the pager upside down? And we used to know all the like number combinations. Like that was cool when I was growing up. Not having an Instagram account where you're posting all these pictures and getting likes. And I'm just glad that I didn't have to deal with that additional stress of life. Being a teenager is stressful enough because you're learning how to deal with peer groups. You're having to learn how to get along in groups. You get assigned group projects, and sometimes those groups get assigned to you as well. So you're learning how to navigate different personalities and different styles. You have a procrastinator, and you have a type A, let's get it done eight days before its due date type person in the same group, and you're having to learn how to balance those things. So there's enough stress that goes on in middle school and high school especially. Well, middle school, your body's changing so much. I mean, that's the thing is like just from a physical standpoint. I'm glad I don't have to do it again. (laughs) But just from a physical standpoint, when you're a young person, you're going through puberty, Mm -hmm. right? How many changes and the hormones that are flooding your body. And it's like that's the time when our young people who are not getting sleep, I'm just like, how, how does your body go through so much activity and Mm -hmm. change so much and you're not giving it the rest that it needs because that's when it's doing the work. That's when it's growing. That's when it's developing. That's when it's changing. And you're giving it like four to six hours a night when it needs eight to 10. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does it do? And it's just, it it wears you out the next day. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to see that. And it predisposes you to having higher levels of anxiety and stress. And I'm kind of going to use those terms interchangeably because they kind of are married to each other more or less. When we feel stressed, we feel anxious. Yes. Um, and so a lot of the times those two things are kind of interconnected. But getting enough sleep is huge. When we don't so get important. enough sleep and we're kind of running off of adrenaline, we think, oh, look at me. I'm running off of adrenaline today. Like I pushed through and stayed up late to study for this test. But if we push through and we push through and we push through, our adrenal glands – you know, they used to call it adrenal fatigue, but really it's that the mechanism that our brain uses to talk to our adrenal glands, it starts to kind of shut that mechanism down, sure. which then we use artificial stimulants to re-stimulate those glands. So some of the prevalence of caffeine intake and a lot of these energy drinks is that the brain's kind of going, hey, dude, we need to like take a break right. and like let's rest. Your body's sending you a signal. <laughs> and we're not. And yep. so then we artificially stimulate those adrenal glands to yep. then release more adrenaline and kind of keep us rolling the next day. So sleep is huge. And, you know, in infancy and in early childhood, I talk to a lot of parents that are in that stage of life. We talk about good bedtime routines and like a healthy bedtime for kids yep. and just getting in a routine. And we kind of forget about it as parents, as our kids get older, that their bedtime routine is just as important when they're 12, 13, 18, as it is when they're three, four, six, um, and when they're infants, two, four, six months. That's I mean, right. it's their bedtime routine is always going to be something that's important. And some of the things that we didn't necessarily have to worry about so much, I guess if we were a kid that had a TV in our bedroom growing up, I was not one of those. My parents did not believe in TVs in the bedroom. So I didn't have to battle the self-control of like turning the TV off before bed. It was – I went in my room and there was not much there. I had an old school telephone that plugged into the wall that if I was on in the middle of the night, my mom would have known about. I don't know. It's that mom intuition thing. I had like a boom box, so like some sort of radio Mm -hmm. CD player. And books. And that was about it. Like, there wasn't very much exciting stuff in my room. Well, now our kids come home with an iPad 
from school that has access to the internet. They have cell phones that have access to the internet or yep. to social media. Yep. And so they're on these screens behind closed doors. Once lights are supposed to be out and the bedroom still looks dark, but it's not dark because we're flooding our brains when we're on those things with blue light that's a stimulating light that's going to keep us awake and make us not feel as tired, even though we really are tired. Yeah. I think from a parenting perspective, right? We have we have no technology um, in the kids' rooms, um, and so they don't they don't plug in their iPads or their phones in their own room, right? It's all in our room, right? which is with, great with mom and dad. So at some point during the night, mm-hmm. right? You know, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, whenever you know you're done doing homework, right? Everybody has to plug in their technology, and it sits in our room. And I think that's really how most of our houses need to be, yes. whether it's plugging in a laptop computer or plugging yeah. in your iPad you or it's just it your, your cell room. phone, whether it's a, quote, charging station in the kitchen, whether it's in the parents' room, somewhere that's not the bedroom yes. is ideal. And I mean, and this is – some people think this comment's going to sound kind of far out there, but even the electromagnetic field that's produced by a cell phone or any device on Wi-Fi or on a cellular service can disrupt how our brain waves at night function. Okay, yeah. And so – Pay attention to even things like that. Even little right? things like having – I mean, that's why even now they're telling adults, like, don't sleep with your your cell phone on your nightstand. Yeah. You should have it across the room. That's right. So how much more for our kids growing, developing brains? Because, like – Kids' frontal lobes are not fully developed until their 20s. So especially our, our girls are like early 20s, like 24, 25. Some of our boys, they're not fully developed brain-wise until they're in their like late 20s, yeah. which is kind of That's frightening. That's a whole other conversation. They're full-grown adults at that point <laughs> in time. But so their brains are yeah, still so developing. Don't, don't and put, what kind right, of don't put the phone at night stress are we near, putting near on their brain, brain with that? Right? Yeah. Just simple, easy, right? Whatever, you know, I don't want to believe it. I don't. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. Just don't do it. Yeah. Right? Just put the phone somewhere across the room. Right. Exactly. No, Is it doing no any need. good in that bedroom? And in well, general, I don't kids, like phones in bedrooms. Right. But for most for most of our kids, their phone is their alarm clock. Right. So yes. you don't you don't want the phone in another room or across the room because like when the alarm clock goes off. And my thing for oh, our but kids it is might always get you out of bed faster if it's at least across the room, Dan. It might. But my thing is just like buy buy an alarm clock. Yeah. Right. Your phone does not have to be your alarm clock. I mean, I know your phone can literally do everything. Yes. Right? But. You know, for $12, you buy an alarm clock on Amazon or Walmart, right? Put it next to your bed. Use an old-fashioned alarm clock. Put Mm -hmm. your phone. Let it do its thing, right, which is something else, right? It can be an alarm clock when you travel, okay? Well, there's lots of other devices that you can have in a room that can also serve as an alarm clock. So if you have an Alexa dot in your room, it can also serve as an alarm clock, and it doesn't have to be the cell phone. So lots of options now with all the technology that we have. Yes. So what other than um, other than sleep, super important, um, dealing with stress, um, what else as far as like what can we be looking for from a parent's perspective in helping our kids deal with stress? So what some of the signs that we can see is that sleeplessness, mm-hmm. so having a hard time going to sleep at night, um, kids that are a little bit more snippy. So and some of this, especially with girls, there's hormone f- you know, fluctuations that happen mm-hmm. monthly and you get a little snippier at sometimes than others. But really looking at that as, you know, if my girls especially are becoming a little bit more short tempered mm-hmm. um, and they're, you know, 
bickering more than paying attention like is this hormonally related or is this stress related have mm-hmm. has something happened at school that i don't know about yep. and having open dialogue and this is why sitting down as a family to have dinner is so important super important and i can say conversation a mom with three kids that are all in competitive sports sometimes our dinner like sometimes our dinner time looks different and it might not be the whole family but we try to sit down with as many people yeah. in the family as we can Last night, for example, we had four of us at the dinner table because the fifth was still at gymnastics. But once she got home, you know, I sat at the table with her while she ate so that she and I were at least still sitting at the table together. Um, Or sometimes it'll be Sean that sits at the table with one of the kids late after a practice. But we try to have dinner together as often as possible to facilitate dialogue. Some of the other times it's great for dialogue is when you're not sitting face-to-face, though. So when you're driving to a sports you know, practice just playing music and not letting your student or, you know, child even because, you know, Ainsley's only eight and a half. So she's, you know, much younger, but she'll converse with me a whole lot better when we she's not looking at me in the eyes. Yep. So sometimes it's a little bit more comfortable for our kids to have deep, more meaningful conversations with us when they don't necessarily have to look us in the eye and have those, the, you know, watch our facial expressions change as they're telling us a story. So sometimes just being the quiet observer as the driver in the car is, you know, a huge benefit to kids. Um, so using that time to ask questions. And as much as I love to listen to podcasts or continuing education in the car, leaving some music on but down kind of low and asking some questions about the day. What are you excited about about practice today? What are you wanting to learn in practice? How are you getting along with your teammates? Yep. How was school today? You know, tell me about something that happened. You know, when they were little, we'd ask silly questions like if the aliens came not that we think there are, but in our pretend world, if right. an alien came and like sucked up one student from your class, who would it be and why? Ooh, yes. And so sometimes it would be like, oh, they took so-and-so because they were bad and didn't listen to the That's teacher right. today. And other times it'd be like, oh, they would take, you know, Johnny over here because he's so smart. He won the spelling bee and they want to study his brain. <laughs> so it was neat because we'd find out things at school about friends, like most of the time exciting things about yeah. friends that um, had happened because of something our kids said in a silly conversation. Yeah. And sometimes troubling things. Yeah. And sometimes troubling right? things. As, as but I'm glad that they're honest then right. and are telling me those troubling things. Yeah. And But once again, most of those troubling things are honestly the ones that come out in the car, not at the dinner table. Totally. Which is kind of ironic. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So let's let's go back to your practice real quick. Yes. Um, the business that you started. Um, who is who, who are the um, patients that you're seeing? Like what, what does that look like from a general perspective? So from a general perspective, I would say my patient population is birth because I see babies as young as like two days old. Okay. All the way up through, I say, active older adults. Okay. Um, And the reason I'd classify it as such is I don't want to take care of the patient that is on eight different pharmaceuticals. That's just not my joy in life is to balance the side effects of your different meds and to add another one to it to take care of yet another side effect. Um, So like my parents are a great example. They're both in their 70s. I don't think either of them take a true pharmaceutical agent. My dad has borderline high cholesterol that he controls with some supplements my mom is really healthy, so she's not on anything other than some, like, calcium, vitamin D, things like that to support her bone health and, like, a probiotic. Yeah. So helping older adults stay active and healthy, I love to do because I love to be able to see – like, that's the grandparent I want to be someday yes. is yep. the one that can, like, grab my kids and say, hey, grandparents stay at school's over. Let's go hit the boat and go water skiing. All right. And not just, hey, let's go sit in a restaurant. Which you and have a background in water skiing. Am I right? Yes, I do. Okay. 
You're going to tell some of my secrets, aren't you? No, no. I grew up as a water skier. Okay. So it's, it's a very slalom funny. Slalom skier? Slalom, yes. Yes. So uh, I was actually at Baylor for a year and a half. I have kind of an interesting college journey. On the team? On the, and I oh, was on the water goodness. ski team. So cool. Yeah. So the first semester you're there, you're not allowed to compete in any of the club sports, but you can participate. At least that's how it was back in the day. Okay. Um, and so I started competing spring semester of my freshman year and then fall semester of my sophomore year and then ended up leaving Baylor at December, so kind of in between semesters. So I actually graduated from University of Texas Arlington. Okay. Um, yeah. Mustangs? Kind of, no. What are they? Uh, Mavericks. 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 Yeah. The horse. Yep. Yeah. 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 Very good. Awesome. Well, good. Okay. So um, again, clients. So, um, clients. I'm, yes. I'm, just, I'm just thinking of our, of our parents. All right. Because here's here's my thing. Um, for me, going into the doctor, right, mm-hmm. is that huge long waiting time period. Yes. Um, I can't remember what what uh, comedian was talking about. How um, every time I go to the doctor, I fill out paperwork, mm-hmm. and it's the same paperwork. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Could I just keep the paperwork and take it back to you next time?" Because somehow <laughs> they lose it every single time. So it's just it's a weird thing, right? Most doctors' offices, mm-hmm. um, it seems like a lot of repetitiveness and kind of wasted time. Yes. It seems like you have something that might be a little bit quicker for people to so be in and out. I try to streamline things a little bit, and I won't necessarily say that it's totally quicker in uh-huh. and out because the whole time frame that you might be there is going to be about the same. So I gotcha. like for a new patient appointment, I would say take block an hour of your day. Gotcha. Um, and not because we have to take an hour, but because I want to allow an hour of time. So I really I'm want just to saying, get to I've, know I've sat my in the doctor's office for more than an hour without even seeing the doctor yet. Yes. So. <laughs> so typically you might be in my cute little lobby that I share for five minutes. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, that I got stuck wrapping up a phone call in between patients or having to, you know, finish some paperwork. But typically I try not to keep people waiting at all. I love it. Um, so I'll co- – I also don't have a medical assistant or staff, so I am the front desk. I am the back desk. I am the medical assistant. I am the provider. I am the business manager. So it's, you know, owning your own business, you end up wearing a whole lot more hats than you ever thought existed. But I really love it. So I actually have like a cute little picture frame on the front desk and you ring a doorbell when you arrive at the office. I love it. You don't really check in. Where is the office? So my office is actually directly behind the Prince of Peace Catholic School off of Plano Parkway, Plano Parkway that's their right. baseball backstop. Yep. So the front door for my office looks out at the baseball field, which yeah. is kind of fun. Yeah. That's got a lot of medical offices right there, there on that Plano Parkway. There are a ton of Parkway. medical offices back there. Yeah. That's a beautiful, that back street even that runs yeah. behind there. So it's there. called Village Creek Drive. Village so it has Creek a really Drive. cute little name. That's awesome. And there's a lot of doctor's offices back there. I think there's even like a memory care. There's daycares yes. back there. Great place to be. Yes. Nice and close a, to here for our parents if they want to yes. check you out. I will put I information about how to like find you. I love it because it's like max of 10 minutes if I time it yeah. right and can, you know, don't get stuck at too many lights from leaving the office to pulling into carpool line, so which good. is a huge blessing. So good. Yes. Well, Christine, thanks um, for your time. Thanks for uh, starting this new business adventure. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. And hopefully some of our parents check you out as a um, as an alternative to what their normal um, medical uh, provider will be. I think, you know, you're, you've kind of hit a niche that's going to be something that's going to be really neat uh, for a lot of people who say, hey, I want somebody who um, doesn't just hand me a pill and say, take this, but actually mm-hmm. starts digging into. And you into... might still need the pill. I mean, yeah, like, let's no, be honest. Totally, if you have strep right. throat, we're going to give you some amoxicillin. Exactly. But... Right. There's some yeah. other things. There's where definitely we're gonna a place and a time for just getting that bill. I love it. I love but it. And thanks. In general. Yeah. Thanks for the time. Your your first podcast. How do you think Thank it you. went? I feel like it went okay. There you go. I think you Maybe did a great job. Maybe went a little job. long, but I think we did okay. You're awesome. <laughs> thanks for your time. So great. Thank you for having me. Give you the song.
Thank you for investing the time to listen to this episode of The Journey. Please take a minute to share with friends and family who will also benefit from this valuable resource. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It is truly our blessing and honor to walk with you on The Journey.